Living Life Fuller, journeying toward independence through homeschooling, homesteading, and a whole lot more. Welcome back. I'm Owen Fuller. I'm Stephanie Fuller. And you made it to episode two, which means that episode one must have been okay enough for you to come back and join us. So we want to thank you, first of all, for that. Uh, our drink of the day today is a Kendall Jackson Chardonnay Venters Reserve year 2017. And today we're going to be talking about what is and isn't homeschooling. And I think I want to start off today with a quote from John Taylor Gatto, who, if you've never read any of his books, uh, he is an excellent writer on the subject of education. The year he quit homeschooling, I'm sorry, the year he quit public schooling, he was New York State's Teacher of the Year. And he was just kind of fed up with the, with the system and decided to leave. And I think that uh, this quote really sums up what we want to talk about today. I don't think we'll get rid of schools anytime soon. Certainly not in my lifetime. But if we're going to change what's rapidly becoming a disaster of ignorance, we need to realize that the institution schools very well, but it does not educate. That's inherent in the design of the thing. It's not the fault of bad teachers or too little money spent. It's just impossible for education and schooling to be the same thing. So with that, we're going to launch into our content for today and talk about what is homeschooling. And again, I think to understand what homeschooling is, it probably makes sense to talk about what it isn't. I know with this COVID pandemic that, that we're going through in 2020, lots of our friends uh, back this spring when schools were kind of cutting short and sending kids home, were kicking around the idea of homeschooling, asking us questions about things, and uh, wanting to know what our advice was. So, Stephanie, what are some of the big misconceptions that you always hear from people when they're asking us things about what it means to homeschool? Um, well, I'd say there are two or three that I hear a lot. Um, the The first one is the first one is, of course, the the socialization question that every homeschooling parent gets. Yes, all the time. Um, but but if you homeschool your kids, how will they be socialized? And what they really mean by that is how will they learn to stand in line and raise their hand and do what they're told? Um, they, they also think that you just um, you completely shelter them from the world and, and right. they won't yes. ever do they, anything with anybody else. They have friends. They go to events. Uh, they're, they're involved in activities. But they, yeah, that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions about homeschooling is that uh, like you're homeschooling them. Like we're not in a cave. <laughs> right. we're, we're part of society. Um, the other ones would well, be on that topic. I would say that varies from family to family. The two, True. you know, I, we, we do probably a, a pretty small amount of activities outside the house. Um, simply just because, I mean, there's, there's five kids and it's hard to rotate around to that many things. Um, you know, they do like youth group at church and homeschool co-op home co is another one. Um, but, some families are really involved, music lessons and sports and, and scouts and things like that. A lot of homeschool families joke like, we may homeschool, but we're never home. Yeah, right. Uh, and one thing, you know, if if you're a homeschool family right now, you've probably had that, well, how do you make sure they're socialized? You, you know, and, and I'm sure you all have your various responses. I usually just say, yeah, we're anti-socialism, but 
that's that's just kind of how I, I roll with that one. Um, and there are weird kids out there in, in homeschool families for sure. Mm-hmm. And there are weird kids out there in, in public school too mm-hmm. that are, are not very well socialized. Yes. And, yes. and with that too, I think... One thing we notice about our kids and other homeschool kids, especially from families that have wide ranges of ages, is that the, quote, socializing part of it is is really something that they're better at in some ways, especially when it comes to interacting with kids of different ages. Yes, or even adults. Um, My my nine-year-old has no problem holding a conversation with someone of any age. Whether they be a three-year-old or a ninety-year-old, he will talk to anybody. <laughs> Getting him to stop is sometimes sometimes the problem. Um, so, some other uh, questions that people have for me are: um, a lot of people wonder where I get, where, uh, how I know what to teach them, right? Uh, and the assumption that I am supposed to be following exactly along with what the public school teaches and when they teach it. So, well, how do you know what grade you're supposed to teach multiplication? Well, after they learn addition and subtraction. That that could be when they're seven. That could be when they're 12. It's just individual. Um, Another example is a lot of people don't realize how much time homeschooling does or does not take. In public school, they're in school for eight hours a day. That is not all learning time. I guarantee it. I worked in a school. Um, It is a lot of transition time. Okay, class, line up. Now we're going to move to this activity. Everyone be quiet. Everyone stand in line. We're not going everywhere until everyone is not touching each other. It's it's very much crowd control all day long. Or or the teacher has to stop and reteach the thing three different ways and then go over to the kid that just really still isn't getting it and it just adds on to the time there. Yes. So I would say in terms of what it isn't, it's not sitting for eight hours a day or seven hours a day at your kitchen table trying to replicate a a public school day in your kitchen. That will do nothing but exasperate both you and your children. Right. And and you were talking a little bit about um, the, you know, learning the curriculum in the order that kids are learning. That's that's the other thing too is that you don't have to stick to an exact set order or an exact set schedule on how you progress through a subject. If you have some kids that are picking things up very quickly, um, especially in the in the certain types of fields like math, where it is very progressive uh-huh. from one thing to the next, you can go at a speed that works for your kids. Yes. Which is nice. Um, you know, th- there's some other things that, that homeschooling is not that you get from public schools. I mean, it's not, you know, it's kind of touching on that last thing. It's not a bell driven, get in line and move from place to place type of a, of an experience. No, uh, there are days where, uh, a subject might take 15 or 20 minutes to get through and other days where we'll delve into that same subject for two hours because we're interested in it or just working on a project and it's it's very much uh flexible we we don't have to move on to the next thing if we're still enjoying and learning the thing that we're working on um and and likewise uh 
if we if we manage to get done quickly in 10 or 15 minutes, we can move on. We don't have to sit and do busy work. Right. So by contrast to public school, it's it's flexible where public school really isn't flexible. And public school, John John Taylor Gatto, who who had the quote that I read at the start of the episode in his book, Weapons of Mass Instruction, uh, which I highly recommend. I'll put a link to that on our uh, show notes for today. He talks about how public schooling was really created following the Prussian military model by bureaucrats and business tycoons, Rockefeller and, uh, and others, to really create a group of people that were good factory workers. They had a basic set of skills and they knew how to follow orders and they knew how to work on a routine because that's what made good factory workers and that's what made good government workers. School, school is very much an assembly line model. Um, you know, okay, class, let's do this one thing. Teach, teach to the middle because you don't have time to teach to, to engage the kids who already know it and don't have time to teach the kids who are struggling with it because the bell rings and you have to move to the next subject. You know, the thing I think it, it is not, that homeschooling is not, is, is it's not somebody else's values. You know, there are a lot of different options out there. Uh, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people kind of have the conception that homeschooling cur- curriculum is always a, uh, like a religious-based thing or that homeschoolers are are always religious. And, and while that's true, I mean, um, we're Christians and we belong to a co-op that's other Christian homeschool families, but there are lots of other people out there in the world today that uh, are of various different beliefs, including atheists, and there are, there are homeschooling curriculum options that are secular and there are some that are are focused on uh, specific uh, religions Christianity a big one in the U.S. because a lot of the original homeschooling families mm-hmm. um, were uh, by original I mean in our modern time you know kind of from the 80s till now mm-hmm. uh, obviously you go back decades and centuries ago and homeschooling really was the norm uh, but but it isn't always um, it isn't always religious and and, and and if you have a particular set of beliefs that you want to teach and instill in your kids, you have that freedom and you don't have to necessarily um, deal with someone else trying to impose their values on your kids. Right. So I think one of the other big things that we should probably get into regarding flexibility and what homeschooling is, is just what, what, is, what is it like? On a day-to-day basis, what options are out there for families? And we already kind of we're already familiar with sort of the online public school in this era of uh, of COVID nineteen, and mm-hmm. uh, that's not really something we consider to be homeschooling. If if that's what you're doing, uh, and and you came here looking for some help on that, um, that's fine. But just understand that our focus on this is, in this podcast and in our way of life is. Uh, again, to be journeying toward independence, right? So we don't see public schooling really falling in the realm of what we consider homeschooling. Uh, However, some of these principles might still apply to you in terms of figuring out how to do things. But again, you're going to have a lot less flexibility uh, and all those things that we talked about, those benefits of homeschooling, because more or less, you're just, you're turning on that computer and the kid's sitting there and, and doing what the teacher says the whole time. And the other sort of similar thing to that would be online private school, which I would say is a step probably a little bit better direction. Um, 
some of those run full day, some of those run, you know, a few hours, combination of independent and uh, instructor-led sessions. But again, from what we're... Variety of price ranges Yeah, exactly. Variety of price ranges too. But the thing that we're really focusing on is instruction that you are doing at home, primarily uh, as a parent or student-led instruction where they're teaching themselves. So, Stephanie, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about um, some of the different uh, curriculum options? Yeah. So, uh, like you said, in addition to online options, um, there you can get what's called boxed curricula. And this would be ordering a box of supplies from one company and it comes with everything you need for that particular grade. Uh, yeah, it'd be grade specific in that case. You would It would have, say, second grade all the second grade writing requirements, all the second grade math, all the second grade science, all the second grade social studies, etc. All in one box. You buy from one place and you have it. It comes with the teacher's manual. You open it up and it tells you what to teach. You basically check the box and say, this is what grade I need. And they send you the whole thing. One, one flat payment, one, one stop shop, and you get everything, including the, like you said, the important instruction book. Yes. And, and that's one of those things. I think if you're going to just jump into this and try this for a year, that's not necessarily a bad option to do. That might be the way to go if you're mm-hmm. feeling a little bit apprehensive about this. Yes, and again, those range from uh, those range in price, those range in values and beliefs. Um, you know, just it's, it's very much like shopping. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Um, moving a little more hands-on, you can create your own uh, doing unit studies. Um, well, I missed classical in there. Okay, you can do unit studies first. Yeah. So, unit studies is, say your child has a big interest in dinosaurs. Okay? And so for science, you're studying dinosaur fossils. How are fossils made? Anatomy um, of dinosaurs, that sort of thing. Uh, Okay. So when we're dinosaurs, you can talk about history and why things go extinct. And you can do math with dinosaurs. Uh, Especially those young ages, you know, counting eggs or right. measuring, measuring measuring bones yes, and things how like that. Getting, if you live outside or <laughs> if you have access to a big field. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We'll get into the home setting course of how to live outside here in future episodes <laughs> i was just thinking about our big front yard and how you could right. you could get a big uh measuring tape and go measure how big would an apatosaurus yeah, be yeah. and if you uh, don't maybe you can go out to your local football you know, field. local football field or something at the right. park um so back to so anyway unit studies that would be trying to fit all of your, or most of your subjects around one topic writing about dinosaurs drawing pictures about dinosaurs for art etc um particular helpful particularly helpful i think if you have uh, a a student that is very fixated on a certain thing you know it can be i know um you know there's certain uh certain learning disabilities that people have or things like uh you know Asperger's or things where, where sometimes people really do have a fixation uh, but then there are just kids that are naturally like that too that just how oh, they're obsessed with things all the time you know like I, I feel like if uh <laughs> if our nine-year-old could 
put as much effort into things like animals as he does into Pokemon taxonomy. <laughs> he'd, <laughs> he'd be pretty good about, you know, all the all the animal taxonomy and stuff. Right. Or for another example, say your kid's really into cooking, math, science, history of food, geography. Where does this food come from? Yeah, absolutely. You just kind of cater, no pun intended with the food, uh, <laughs> but you kind of cater toward their interests by seeing, hey, how do you re relate these subjects to what you're interested in? And that I think is good too, because I don't know how many times you've heard a kid say, well, when am I going to use this? You know, when am I going to use fractions? Well, hey, guess what? Um, you need a, you know, you need a fourth a cup of, of this, but we're doubling the recipe. So how much is that? You know, things, things like that. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, unit studies in a nutshell there. Um, classical is closer to what you would think of as traditional school. Um, it focuses very heavily on memorization in the early ages when kids are young. Uh, little kids like to memorize. If you don't give them something to memorize, they will memorize songs. They will memorize movies. Uh, and so it is using... Uh, that to fill their head with uh, information to memorize at a young age. And then as they get older, I believe the focus switches from memorization to logic and rhetoric and being able to explain ideas uh, back on the bigger concepts based on things that they'd already memorized when they were younger. And that doesn't have to be your sort of stereotypical... You know, I think you think of all the, the movies you see of like the old schoolhouse and they're like one plus one is two, two plus two is four, four <laughs> plus, you know, it, it can be things like, uh, you know, songs that that teach them math facts or history facts or things like that. And I would say I, I don't know too many families that do solely classical uh Anymore. I I did before we moved here. Okay, um, I couldn't remember. I knew, you... I knew several families that. Oh, you no, you didn't. We didn't personally ever. No, do, but you no, knew some. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know several families that do. And again, for classic, if you're interested in classical uh, schooling, there are curriculums out there focused towards that that help you, similar to that box set that tell you, okay, for these ages, these are the important things to right. to learn and. And we, we do we do have some things that are memorization based for our kids like they've done some poetry units and things mm -hmm. which just learning those memorization skills not necessarily just what you're memorizing but just the process of committing things to memory is, yes. is a good exercise absolutely all right um the next one is, that i'd like to talk about today is uh charlotte mason um she was I believe an English lady and she came up with this philosophy of education that basically states kids need a lot of time just to be kids and to be outdoors and that they learn things from being outdoors and being kids. So they should have short, concise lessons to the point, eliminate the twaddle, eliminate the busy work, um, short concise lessons and a lot of time just to be kids. I think that's that's good for parents too. <laughs> for the kids to be outside. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are those days um you know I I 
I have those days where I wish the kids would spend more time outside. And then you have those days where, you know, you're just glad because they're out there, they're running around, they'll, they'll take their easels outside and just paint some pictures. Uh, or um, our daughter, Macy, likes to go out to the deck and make all kinds of artistic things. You know, it, it's great when they'll actually choose to go outside and do it. Sometimes when you have to kick them out, it's not as good. But you, th- you do think about all the things you learn just kind of inherently, you know, kicking ball, a ball around and, and learning about physics or exploring and finding plants, um, or looking at plants in the garden and realizing, oh, there are these, these shiny Asian beetles that are destroying things. You just kind of, you learn about the world without really expressly going out there for the purpose of learning. And, and when you don't force the learning, they do it on their own. So, you know, Macy would go out and she created a nature journal of her own where she would find cool looking plants and cut samples and press them and uh, put them in her book. And then she would look up what it was and write down what it was and draw a picture of yeah. it as well. Um, she found like... She finds clo- four leaf clovers like crazy. A dozen of them. <laughs> She's been, you know, that wasn't good enough. So she started finding five leaf clovers and she's found a couple of those. Yes. Uh, I'd never seen a five leaf clover in my life, but... Uh, she manages to find them, but but anyway, so anyway, the main the main point of that is eliminating the busy work. the The busy work sucks the joy out of learning. If you already know it and still have to sit there for another forty five minutes just to finish the worksheet, so mom can check off the box. That's, yeah, it's not really accomplishing. No, you need to. it and isn't. That kind of naturally leads into unschooling, which I guess would sort of be uh, an extreme on half of the Charlotte Mason concept uh, of lots of time to be your yourself as a kid and, you know, not necessarily specifically outdoors, but this is really, this is the least formalized form of homeschooling. Yes. Uh, it's often called child-led learning. And basically the theory is that when a child is ready to learn something, they will learn it. Uh, many unschoolers don't teach formal reading or writing until the child expresses an interest in it and find that often when the child wants to do it, then they pick it up very quickly. Um, they, it's, it's child-led, so similar to the unit studies, they find what the child wants to learn and incorporate uh, as many opportunities for right. the child to learn what they're interested Par- parents in. Parents are more facilitators in, in unschooling right. rather than those that Directors. are leading. And personally, I think this is... So people that, that unschool uh, that I've heard either on other podcasts uh, or, or writing, things like that, people that that do this with their families swear by it. Like, it works really well for them. I think it's one of those things where it probably works better with certain personalities than others. Agreed. I don't think we could be a 100% unschooling family and, and be very successful <laughs> with, with our kids. But um, I think there is a lot that can be taken from unschooling. And that kind of takes us to our last style that we want to talk about, which is the eclectic style. So it's I guess it's not really a style in and of itself, but eclectic meaning that you're borrowing from the other styles. And I think that is that's probably really where we land and probably Absolutely. where most people land. Um, you know we like to borrow some of the good concepts. We like to borrow some of the things from unschooling. Um, we talked a little bit about our 
our nine-year-old wanting to get poultry and kind of getting into that. And the things that he's learning from that and the life skills uh, are just great. And some of the, the other kids, uh, you know, our, our oldest is kind of interested in various things, really. She's got a broad, broad interest, but uh, she just turned 14 today, actually. And she's got interest in art and in computer stuff and in politics. And so it's just providing some of those things where she can learn about that, you know, those, so- those subjects and the topics, whether it's, um, some online, uh, curriculums like curricula, I always go back and forth. It's probably technically it de- curricula. It depends if you're talking about singular. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, curriculum, but curric- anyway, right. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll go brush up on our grammar, um, curricula, such as, um, Tom Woods has a has a great uh, course called Liberty Classroom, and it's geared for adults. But we've we found that there are a lot of courses in there that our our oldest can kind of take advantage of in terms of economics and politics and history, some of those things that she's interested in. So it's it's a combination of us saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's help. Let's build this. Uh, let's build this outline of what we're going to do for the year, and we'll provide some things, but we'll kind of let you discover some things on your own and kind of, kind of mix and match some of those things. And this year, as our, as our oldest is going into, into high school, um, she's getting a little bit more say over some of those things, which is nice too, because it, it really means that she will hopefully be more invested in what it is that she's learning. So you don't have to stick with one particular thing. Uh, you can go, uh, as involved as you want, as hands off as you want, as you know one-stop shop box curriculum as you want or like we pick we pick from a variety of different providers when it comes to uh selecting curriculum for different subjects absolutely and even different kids Mm -hmm. yeah and you don't you don't even have to go through a whole year of something if it's not working change it in the middle of the year it's fine because you're not a public school you can do that um if it is working, great. I think reading is probably one of the things we've jumped around the most on in terms of reading what and we writing. use. Yeah, just because our kids have such different learning styles. And uh, one of our kids, um, two, Stephanie's telling me, um, seem to have a, probably some dyslexia. So we have switched to a curriculum that's a little bit more dyslexic friendly for them. And... Some of the other kids really just do fine with the uh, kind of the the phonic style things. It just it just really depends. But again, that's that flexibility that you have uh, when you're homeschooling. You don't have to stick to one particular thing. So hopefully, this gives you a good overview of just what some of the options are out there. If you're thinking about homeschooling, if you want to give it a try, uh, but you're not really sure where to start, and you're a little bit scared that you can't replicate a full day of public school in your own uh, kitchen or dining room, wherever you plan on doing that, just want to encourage you to say, hey, there are options and flexibility is the biggest advantage of homeschooling, I think. Absolutely. So I want to thank you again for joining us here for episode two of Living Life Fuller. We'll have the show notes on our website, livinglifefuller.com. And we hope to see you back here for episode number three.